This is the story of the Levels Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, and its founder, Josh Clemente. So I spent some time right after SpaceX. Essentially, I was going to go straight into this and, and start a company and try and get some funding, but there was no real design. And in order to get some traction, it was clear that there needed to be a little more groundwork. So I spent some time designing uh, just in CAD, like starting to put together an idea for what this design could be. But I decided that I was going to, rather than just do this full time, which could take up to a year, I was going to take this other opportunity, <laughs> which promised much better work-life balance, but you know would help pay the bills, which was Hyperloop. And, um, and so my, my good friend was over there. He and I had worked together at SpaceX. And Hyperloop was essentially a space vehicle inside of a tube which is uh, which is actually a train. So you you take a tube, connect two points, you know, hundreds of miles apart, pull all the air out of it, and you put this little levitating pod in there, um, and it uses magnetic levitation similar to the trains in Asia. And because there's no air in the tube, it has very little aerodynamic resistance, and it's extremely power efficient, energy efficient. And so. I decided to go kind of take my spacecraft development expertise and, and use it at Hyperloop. And on the side, I was going to moonlight and do um, this elevated tactic system design. And that is what, ultimately what I did. I, I spent a year there and it was a really interesting experience. I got some more kind of uh, exposure to the world of business and startups. And it was a very well-capitalized company. Definitely had some unique experiences there. It was not like SpaceX, but we... We did some cool stuff. And at the same time, I was able to get a design cranked out, which I, I then left Hyperloop to go uh, pursue full time after that. So this is like you did it independently, but your your pops was the one who had conceptualized this thing. And you're like, hey, I'm going to go build this. Yeah. So my dad, um, he was involved. Um, he, he started a company with one of his old business partners. And they, you know, like I said, he patented one way back, but it was like, it was like the garage version of it. I mean, it's really an awesome design when you look at it now. It's really well conceived of, but it, it wasn't optimized. And so what he wanted was to achieve a much better set of capabilities and it needed professional engineering to get there. And so, um, yeah, so I, I designed that system. There's a patent pending on it, which <laughs> maybe at some point will come through, but it's a, it's a very weight optimized design. So you can get like 10 people with body armor into and out of a 28 foot elevation point of interest in seconds. And, and it can mount on top of a, an armored vehicle. And so this allows you to very quickly and without exposing yourself, you know, by say climbing a ladder, get a whole team up to a point. And whether it's for hostage rescue or, or anything similar, it can be done much more in a much more tactically efficient and effective way. And so, yeah, that, that was a really cool project. It's actually still ongoing. There are some international contracts for it, and uh, my dad is doing that as one of his many, <laughs> one of his many careers. So you did this, and then was the goal to raise money around it? Like, we're, how are you thinking about like the actual go to market for it? Because there was already a bit of awareness that these types of things are out there. You know, the design that my dad produced back in the '90s was bought by the French special forces. And so he, he felt, you know, based on his contacts, his Rolodex, that uh, he could easily find customers, but it was more a matter of just building a prototype. So um, gotcha. his business partner ended up actually bankrolling that prototype, which we used pretty effectively. We, we shipped it to uh, 
to a few conventions. One's called Millipole. It's like the largest defense convention in uh, probably in the world, but certainly in Europe. And so we unveiled this project in 2017 in Millipole in Paris and uh, ended up getting quite a few bytes that um, ultimately started to, I think several of those have turned into pending contracts. And so it was, uh, it was really cool because rather than having to raise a, a large sum of money, you can demonstrate a prototype that meets certain requirements and then get a letter of intent and then get essentially advance, advance payment for the contract terms and proceed into production. So that was the kind of the business plan there. And so you do this and, and things are going forward. And then what were you thinking as far as your next move? Like you stayed at Hyperloop for a little bit. And what were those next steps? Like you're trickling along in this journey to what we'll get to in a bit, which is where we are now, current day is levels. But what did that look like? Yeah. So by the time I was working on that elevated tactics project, I already had my idea sort of percolating. And um, it was due to levels. You're saying that's right. The the levels idea was percolating. And uh, the way it kind of played out was while I was at SpaceX, I read a pretty fascinating paper. Actually, there were several of them uh, from Dominic Diagostino. And he's a researcher, a ketogenic researcher at the University of South Florida. And so I was designing an oxygen breathing system. And um, this would never happen on the, <laughs> on the SpaceX vehicle. But I was thinking about worst case scenarios where you have a high pressure, high oxygen environment which is dangerous because it's flammable, but it's also dangerous because it can cause central nervous system toxicity where basically the reactivity of having all that oxygen present causes seizures and potentially death. And so I was you know, just thinking about this failure mode and um, I read this paper from Dom, which talks about this scenario. It was, I think, specifically being targeted towards divers who could also see this happen. But the the paper touches on how uh, when in a ketogenic state, these rodents, these, these were mice or rats, I think the, the study was done on, but it, when in a ketogenic state, meaning their, their bodies are primarily running on ketones, which are a form of fat, they can live five times longer in these high oxygen, high pressure environments without central nervous system toxicity or without seizure. And uh, that study like totally stunned me because it seemed impossible. And there were there were a few follow-ons that were done to show that effect uh, as replicable. And the reason it stunned me was because I had never believed that nutrition or that dietary factors had made any difference in organisms. My understanding was that every calorie is the same. You know, a calorie is a unit of energy and the food you eat has some number of units of energy in it. And no matter where that energy comes from, it's all the same. And this was the first time that I'd seen something that said, actually, just a simple change in where those units of energy are coming from completely changes the physiologic nature of this creature. Like it is no longer responding to its environment the same way. And in fact, it has these superpowers now. And of course, the study wasn't in humans, but it got my wheels turning. I started thinking like, that's pretty unbelievable. I would like to make sure that I'm <laughs> optimizing myself for superpowers if that's possible just by eating the right foods. And so I was at SpaceX at the time. I was, you know, I can, <laughs> I have many pictures of me sleeping under my desk because I'm pulling, you know, 50, 60 hour stints at the office. And um, I was very much burning the candle at, at all ends at the time, eating when, whenever I could, sleeping whenever I could, uh, working out as often as possible and as hard as possible. 
And so I was just in this like really, really elevated state of stress and I was not feeling healthy. Like I, you know, I just, this really played into my decision. I think ultimately to leave SpaceX was just, I felt so overwhelmingly fatigued all the time, mentally and physically. Like my family, you know, kind of refers back to that time. And, you know, apparently I was just a different person. Just my mental faculties were so focused on what I, on my work. And I was just not, my personality had changed. I was not, I didn't have my sense of humor. I, I just was very, very, I think, mood affected by what I was going through. And um, I also just felt horribly unhealthy despite being physically fit. So all of this stuff is happening. I'm reading this paper, which blows me away. And that like got the wheels turning. Like Maybe I'm doing something totally wrong. I had at the time asked my doctor, you know, I basically walked into the office and said, I, I have a terminal illness. Please help me find out what it is because something's totally off. Cognitively, you felt off. Physically, you're trying your hardest to work out. And yeah, you've convinced yourself at this point that like something is not right. That's right. Yeah. And so I, I basically told my doctor, like, something's got to be wrong. Can you help me figure this out? And, and so around that same time, I read the study and uh, my doctor had taken a bunch of blood, blood work and you know, everything came back. I think the one recommendation was your vitamin D levels are low. So you should, you should get more sunlight if possible, which wasn't surprising because I was indoors literally like 23 hours of every day. And the one hour I was outside, it was dark. <laughs> so and, and sleeping under your desk. Exactly. And, and so that experience got me thinking a lot about the other elements of health besides physical fitness. And so uh, anyway, I, I moved on to, to Hyperloop. And the entire time I was at Hyperloop, I was designing that, that system, that side project, but I was actually more interested in reading papers on human physiology and metabolism. And, and it became just sort of this, this side thing. And I just started to get fascinated by it, which was very interesting because I, I never, I loved chemistry growing up, but I wasn't much of a biology person. And I think the reason was it was very detached. Um, it was, you know, reading about single celled organisms and stuff, but reading about how the human body works was like this really fascinating thing. And so I kind of threw myself into it and I started experimenting while I was at Hyperloop with, um, I mean, I actually started this at SpaceX, but it continued through Hyperloop. You know, it was about a year that I was pricking my finger to measure blood sugar and I was getting continuous blood work from my doctor and I didn't really have much figured out. I wanted to try the ketogenic diet. I wanted to try a, a vegan diet. I wanted to try basically every diet out there and find the right one for me and make sure that I was like basing that decision in, in objective data. So that was happening while I was at Hyperloop. And then sometime late 2017, around the time that we brought the truck, the tactic system out to Millipole, I read a book called Wired to Eat that had just come out from Rob Wolf. And that book talked about eating for a balanced blood sugar. And so I had already been pricking my finger with a blood glucometer based on, you know, just reading something or a friend recommending it, but I hadn't figured it, nothing had come to light. It was just like a bunch of points of data that were scattered. They were not informative, but I read this wired to eat book. And um, the idea is that you design a diet based on your blood sugar. And in the back of the book, there's like this mention of a continuous glucose monitor that you wear all the time and it gives you a full-time data stream. And I was like, oh man, that would be awesome. I'm, you know, my fingers are black and blue from this, like <laughs> this pricking thing I'm doing. And uh, so I think I called like the next day, called my doctor, set up a, an appointment and asked if I could get a prescription for a CGM. 
And I was totally shocked when he flat out denied me. It was just like, definitely not. Um, that is, that's kind of ridiculous to even ask for. It's for people who have like an advanced condition of diabetes. You know, honestly, you're concerned about something that does not even need to be measured until you're sick, until you have this condition. And not only until you have it, but until it's really bad, until it's poorly managed. And um, I left that appointment like very surprised and frustrated that for two reasons. Like firstly, it made no sense to wait until a system is totally broken to start tracking the metric that defines it, that defines the illness. And that just did not make any sense to me. And then second, why was I being prevented from getting access to my own body's data? Now, I understand the patient-physician relationship. I understand that you know, I understand and embrace the healthcare system and, and uh, healthcare workers and doctors. Like, I think it's really important that the expertise exists and, and helps people navigate sickness. But it is confusing to me that like something along the lines of a CGM, which is just telling me what's happening in my body, would be, A, would have this gatekeeper situation where I have to ask for it, and B, where I'm not the one giving access to the data. It seemed to me that I should be the one saying, you can look at my blood sugar data, as opposed to you know, this person saying, I cannot look at my blood sugar data. So that appointment experience like, kind of um, triggered something in me. And I started to look into the healthcare side of things. Like, how rampant is blood sugar dysfunction? You know, is this something that more people should be worried about? And uh, that unearthed this huge can of worms where I started to realize that this is like actually a really huge problem. And diabetes is nowhere near as rare as I would have believed based on the appointment with my doctor. And so I, I became increasingly interested in getting my hands on a CGM. And ultimately, I did get one from a, a friend of mine who had, he had gone to Australia and brought some back in his backpack because they're over the counter there. Gray market. <laughs> gray market situation, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had tried everything. I, I was looking on eBay. They were, every once in a while, they'd be listed on eBay. I would try and buy them and then it would like not come with a reader or something and I wouldn't be able to, it wouldn't be useful. Um, you know, I was trying for several months, a better part of a year really to get a CGM. And so it was like early, I think it was early 2018, like January or something. I, I got a CGM, I put it on and at this time, I, you know, I was still struggling with a bunch of fatigue issues. You know, I was working a much lower stress job. Uh, I, I was definitely doing multiple things at once. So I was spending my extra hours designing, you know, the side project. But, um, you know, I, I expected that I would have felt better. And I, I was not, you know, I basically needed to take a nap every day. I had at least, and this is no joke, like 10 cups of coffee per day. Uh, this oh, is on like a Mr. Coffee. So oh, I was, <laughs> I was drinking I was drinking a full pot of coffee every single day, essentially. And so, you know, I was just not feeling good at all. And, and uh, I got the CGM and all of a sudden, like a light bulb clicked week one. So I had been experimenting with diets. This was, I, I was actually trying a vegan diet at the time. And as a total noob to the vegan diet, I assumed that what I was eating was very healthy. So it was brown rice, it was vegetables, it was sweet potatoes, bananas, um, you know, a lot of very healthy foods, avocado, quinoa. It hadn't made a difference in my in my feeling of fatigue, and I put this device on, and I saw that every single meal I was eating, I was spending several hours, you know, in some cases upwards of three hours in the pre-diabetic blood sugar zone, oftentimes in in the diabetic blood sugar zone, and uh, there was not a single meal decision I made for the first two weeks that was different. 
So every single thing I was eating was causing just total blood sugar destruction. And uh, I'd be able to connect these like crazy highs and then this reactive crash that would come multiple hours later to my feelings of facial, like I would get this flushness in my face, my hands would get tingly. Um, and then a few hours later, I'd be crashing. I'd be, that's when I would want that nap. I'd be getting more coffee and I'm seeing this pattern like almost instantly. And so within that first two weeks, you know, I, I had enough pre-existing knowledge of the ranges, um, the concerns and the statistics around prediabetes, the ranges that are associated with them. Um, I knew pretty quickly, like, this is a problem. I ended up talking to my doctor about it. He was pretty surprised, but um, essentially was skeptical, was saying like, yeah, you might be borderline pre-diabetic, but you know, honestly, like you just need to, something along the lines of you need to just eat better and, and work out more. And you know, at the time I'm a CrossFit trainer, I'm working out every day. I'm eating a vegan diet of all home cooked meals. Like that was clearly not cutting it. And so it was that early, like January, February timeframe. I had just used the CGM. And the moment that it all kind of came together, <laughs> this, this is going to sound lame, but I was actually in the shower and I was just like, I sort of envisioned what the ultimate experience would be for me, what I needed to make better decisions. And it was this system, the CGM, but the form factor was terrible. Um, I had to use this like third party device that I carried around in my pocket. It didn't connect to my phone at the time. The device was like monochromatic. I couldn't zoom in on the, on the data. I was tracking what I was eating in this like separate Excel spreadsheet. Like everything was a mess, but what I needed was just one central place where I could track my blood sugar, how it is affected by these decisions and make iterative improvements, close the loop between everything I was doing and the way it was causing me to respond. Um, and so I'm in the shower and I'm just like, this is it. Like I, I just have to provide that system, better accessibility to these devices, to people like myself who may not know, but want to try to do things better. And I'll just, I'll just start doing this. Like this is, this could be a game changer. I mean, it's exactly what I need. I am an example of all of these people that I'm reading about that, that are out there. They have no idea what to do. This could be a, you know, a really interesting project. And uh, I was like, I'll call it maple biometrics. And, uh, that was, that was kind of a play on words. Cause it's like, you know, maple being maple syrup. It's like this sweet substance in the tree. I was like, this is tracking your, the sweet substance in our blood. So it was just like kind of silly idea, but I got out of the shower, told my girlfriend, I'm starting this company. It's called Maple Biometrics. I'm incorporating it right now. <laughs> I actually like sat down and uh, filed an LLC 10 minutes later and um, started putting pen to paper on what a business plan could look like, you know, putting a slide deck together to just get my thoughts down. And a friend of mine convinced me Maple Biometrics, a terrible name, call it something like Frontier Biometric. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll do that. So I, I then switched the name to Frontier Biometric because it's like cutting edge. It's talking about the future. You know, it's like a, the beginning of a very new era where people have access to their own data. They have access to the information they need to be healthy. So it felt like a good name. And yeah, that, that was it. I, I basically like... I'll say that Levels is an interesting company for a couple of reasons. One, it got me actually interested in Quantified Self, which was a movement that I have been skeptical of in the past. It's kind of not even about Quantified Self so much more of actual intelligence based on reaction to food, which is probably one of the most important imp uh, components to health. And secondly, they build in public. It produced this podcast, which you just listened to. And it's one of the more interesting podcasts, even though I don't necessarily am 
in listening to every single episode, I feel like it's just very well produced and it's got a bit of a reputation among founder uh, types who like to learn from other startup founders uh, building in their companies in public. So we're checking out. We'll have another clip tomorrow.